you guys about delighting in God today, just delighting in Him. Um, I want to ask you, let's, t- let's talk about funerals for a second. Imagine that you were allowed, after you'd passed away, you were allowed to go to your funeral and just listen to people at your memorial service talk about you. Like God allowed you in on that. Now, I don't know that you're going to, that this ever actually happens. I think you're just going to be stuck staring at Jesus saying, wow. <laughs> and, and that's the extent. But I'll tell you, wouldn't it be cool, though, to hear what people had to say about you? I, I would hope it'd be cool. What they could say, well, if it was mine, they might say, hopefully my kids would say, he was a great dad, um, a great provider, hard worker. Maybe colleagues would say, yeah, he was always on time. I don't know what my colleagues would say about me. Um, my wife would hopefully say, yeah, he really protected me and covered me and provided and sheltered our family. He was a good husband. All those things would be good. But I think the best thing I could hear someone say about me in this scenario is, you know what, he delighted in God. He just loved God. Wouldn't that be awesome? Because I think if you delight in God and you just love God, you'll be a good father. Of course, you'll screw up, and we all do. You'll be a good husband. You'll be a provider, right? All of those other good things happen when we delight in the Lord. And so it's my prayer that, you know, at 20 years of following the Lord, I could just set aside all those other desires, as good as they are, and just say, God, I want to know you, and I want to delight in you. I don't know that I even have a tomorrow, so why not just today, for today, asking just for today that I would just delight in you, God. And that's where the Lord has led me. And so the teaching for today is kind of a two-part teaching. Don't worry, I won't go long. Uh, Even though the Broncos aren't playing today, I won't go long. Um, so i got to fit a lot in, though. It's kind of two teachings in one, so if you'll bear with me, and we're going to go through a lot of Scripture, and we're going to kind of move quickly, where normally you could stop and, and pause. But um, I'm going to open in prayer, and we'll get in the Word. Amen? Lord, we just uh, thank you so much, God, for this beautiful day. I thank you, Father, for every soul in this, in this church. And, Lord, we lift up the children's ministry. We just ask that you would bless it, God, would these kids know you, and Lord, give patience and kindness and gentleness to the leadership and the youth ministry and all throughout the church, God, that uh, you be glorified. Lord, we, we set this time apart, and we want to get in your word, and we, t- we want to know you. And Jesus, it's only through you that we can know the Father. And so we just ask, God, that would you reveal your Father to us, Lord, and um, Lord, that we would delight in you and know what that means. And Lord, where, where our hearts are not in agreement with you and who you are, God, would you reveal that to us today, that we could repent and find our delight in you. And Lord, that we could find life in you. Jesus, you're so good to us. We praise you for all that you're doing. We praise you for this church. We praise you for the city. And Lord, we ask that you would just continue to use this church to reach the city. Lord, we thank you for the souls that are coming. We thank you for, uh, Lord, the friendly smiles. And we thank you for all that your spirit is doing here. And we just ask, God, could we see more of you? Could we see more of you in this city and in this town? And we thank you. Jesus, we give you this time and just ask for your, your blessing on it, your utterance. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So one of my other favorite things to do as a pastor is visit the widows and comfort them, bring them comfort. Uh, recently, we had um, a, a couple at our church. The husband suddenly passed away, just quite suddenly, in their 60s. And she's wondering, well, now what? You know, as, as you would. And so she asked for a couple pastors to come over. And so we went to her house. And she, um, it was pretty obvious by the time I left that the reason she wanted us over was just to talk about how much she loved her husband. She had to tell someone how much she loved her husband. It was amazing. She took us room to room throughout her house and told us the history. Her husband hung this crown molding. Her husband hung this door, made the front door. And her, her husband uh, collected these cars. And it was funny because it was just toy cars, boxes and boxes of matchbox cars, and collected ships 
like, you know, the ships in the bottle, the jar that you see. He collected those. And she was into anything he did, and she loved his collections. And I thought, this is the, the best example in my entire life that I've ever seen of someone who delights in someone. This, this widow delighted in her husband, just delighted in him. Everything he did, she loved it. Everything he collected and was interested in, she was interested in. And I think that's where the Lord wants to take us. Everything he does, we should love it. We should just love it. Everything he's interested in, we should be interested in. Everything he loves, we should love. Because he's awesome. This woman, this widow, is like, there's nothing my husband couldn't do. And if you can say that about a person who walks the earth, then you can say that about the God who made the earth, right? There's nothing he can't do. And that kind of delight, it was so freeing. She had so much joy about her husband who had passed away. And it was, a, it was just a pleasure to sit and listen to her. And deep down, I'm like, I'm not sure my wife would give the same to her. <laughs> if I, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, but that's delight. It was such a great example of someone who just delights. Uh, you, can, you can do no wrong, right? And our God can do no wrong. Psalm 1, 119. God, you are good and you do good. That's our God. And I hope we delight in him. Well, Jesus is the guy we're going to go and examine. If we want to find what it means to delight, turn in Matthew, turn, open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 10. We're going to read through part of 10 and really focus on chapter 11. It's pretty awesome. Jesus loved his father. He said, hey, guys, guess what? Everything I say, I say because my father told me to say. I don't say anything on my own. Everything I do, I do because my father told me to do it. I do nothing of my own, he said. Everything I do, every, everything, was Jesus' love and delight. It was straight from his father. And it was pretty neat. Most of my walk, 20 years with the Lord, I have not understood the father. I've had a bad picture of the Father. When Satan tempted Eve in the garden, we call that, the, when she bit, the original sin. When, when they ate the fruit, the forbidden fruit. But I think the original, original sin was the temptation and how the devil twisted their view of God. And what would the devil do? God said, hey, if you eat of this, the day that you eat of this, you shall surely die. And the devil came and he twisted their perspective of who, what God was saying. In fact, the devil said, tried to say, hey, guess what? You shall not surely die. God just actually doesn't want you to eat it because you're going to be like God. As though God was deceiving and manipulating Adam and Eve. That's the original, original sin. And the devil has been trying to do that ever since. He wants, in you and I, he wants us to see God as someone other than he truly is, someone to delight in. Anything but delighting in him. Because it is so powerful when a child of God delights in his Father. And look at, because of Christ, delight in the Father, we were all one. We were all taken out of Satan's kingdom, right? And Jesus kept doing what he did because he delighted in the Father. I mean, just think about this. When Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, right? He said, you know what? I'm glad. He told the disciples, I'm glad that we weren't there so that you could be there. We could go there and God will be glorified in that. You guys can see it. Because Jesus says, like, I want you guys to glorify God when this is all done. But in raising Lazarus from the dead, what happened immediately after that? The Pharisees decided we've got to kill him. That's it. Jesus, in obeying the Father, committed his life. He's like, if I say this, Lord, they're going to want to kill me. But I'll say it. Right? And he followed because he delighted in his Father. So delighting in the Father is dangerous, too. It's not always simple. It's not always easy. And it could lead to some sorrow, right? Delighting in him to, to the point of obedience I mean, how many people confront evil in their work and end up getting fired? It happens. 
If you shine a light, the darkness doesn't like you, right? And they, they can come after you. Well, Jesus just delighted in his father. He did everything his father said, even if it meant pain, even if it meant his own death. And actually knowing that it meant his death. So Jesus, in this, this particular section of Scripture that is so popular to all of us, Matthew 11, 28, 29, and 30. I'm going to read this to you. And we all know this. Come to me, all ye who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Have you guys noticed in your walks with the Lord uh, an easy yoke and a burden that's light? I haven't. Uh, for a lot. For a lot of my walk with the Lord, I haven't. It's, all I've really seen is the, the closer I get to Jesus, the more I realize I need him. Like I'm constantly seeing, wow, I failed again as a father. Oh man, I failed as a husband. Oh, I failed here, I failed there. And that, you can walk in that kind of that, that the, shadow of, the valley of the shadow of death type mentality, right? And I'm like, Lord, well, what, what does that mean? Where is your yoke easy? Where is your burden light? So let's get into the context. Before, what happens before Christ says this? In chapter uh, 10, Christ is given some of the hardest words that he gives. And he's being very frank and very honest and very upfront. The same Christ who says, My yoke is easy and my burden is light, is the same one who said, Behold, I send you out as sheep among wolves. That, how does that work? How does that balance out? Like, wait a second, sheep among wolves does not sound easy and light to me. How does that work? Here in Matthew 10, verse 34. Hard, hard words coming from the Lord. Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Where's the yoke? Where's the easy yoke and the light burden in that? For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against his mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. No one say amen on that one, okay? Just don't do that. Um, and a man's enemies will be of his own household. Where is the yoke easy and the burden light in that? Let's face it, that sounds horrible. <laughs> I, I grew up in a religious sect. Like, they were, had they tried to take my money, they would have been considered a cult. But I think they were smarter than that. And they believed they were the only ones going to heaven. And they believed that if you wanted your sins forgiven, one of us had to forgive you your sins. I mean, it was one of those. They're way more common than I ever imagined now that I've walked away from that 20 years. But I'll tell you what, there was no easy yoke and no light burden growing up in that. And I saw, as people were leaving that, this exact thing happened. People were leaving it, and their families would turn against them. Within households, they'd start to debate. Well, hold on, I don't need to be forgiven from you because Christ died on the cross for me. And this is what Jesus was talking about, this, this confrontation that would happen in the house, this war, because there's souls. And if you speak the truth, then they kind of rebuke you and they kick you out. And that's what happened to me and that's what happened to my family. But that's the war that he's talking about. And that is not an easy yoke. That is not a light burden. I'm not going to lie to you. It just wasn't. And then um, verse 39, Jesus says, He who finds his life will lose it, and he who loses my, his life for my sake will find it. That's, that's not an easy one. That's the take up your cross daily and follow me, Right? Die to yourself. Galatians 2.20, For I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live the life I live now in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me, right? Christ lives in me. Um, but that doesn't sound like an easy yoke. I'm going to start in, in, in verse 1 of uh, chapter 11. Now it came to pass when Jesus finished commanding his 12 disciples that he departed from there to teach and to preach in their cities. And when John heard, in, and when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said to him, "Are you the coming one, or do we look for another?" John is Christ's cousin, right? His first cousin. They 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 met in the womb. Remember the story. Someone he loved. Someone Jesus loved dearly. 
And John is unjustly in prison. And we know just a couple more chapters, I think it's chapter 14, when John gets beheaded, right? For evil. It's just evil for evil's sake. How nasty. And I got to ask you guys, do you think John at this moment had an easy yoke and a light burden? Did he? He's in prison. He's wondering, are you, are you the one? I love what Jesus says after this. Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell John the things, that, the things which you hear and see. The blind see and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. So Jesus quotes from the book of Isaiah. His response. Go tell John this section of scripture from the book of Isaiah. But Jesus leaves out the prisoners are set free. He didn't, he didn't include that. Was Jesus saying to John, hey, John, you're not getting out, but I, I know who you are. I know where you're at. I am the one. I am healing people. The deaf are hearing. The blind are seeing. The dead are raised. But guess what? John, you're not getting out because John doesn't get out of prison. His, John's disciples come and take his body and bury him. Blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Let's sit on this one for a second. A lot of people have a struggle with what Jesus is doing in their life. And to be honest, they're offended. Why? Right? We ask that. When we're in suffering, when the yoke isn't easy and the burden certainly doesn't feel light, and we're like, oh, Lord, why? And we can get offended. We can get offended. I think uh, if you go back to Deuteronomy... Let's do this real quick. Let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 6. When God gives a law, in Deuteronomy 6, this is what we're talking about when it comes to a yoke. Jesus was often asked, Rabbi, what is your yoke? So in the Jewish tradition, if you were qualified, if you were given the permission to seek a rabbi and to be a rabbi's disciple, you were given permission to do that, then you would go about and you would ask rabbis, what is your yoke and what is your yoke? And what you're saying is, if I follow you, what burden do I have to carry? And there were two common answers. The first one was, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and keep the Sabbath. That was the Pharisee's mantra. And keep the Sabbath. So if you follow one of those rabbis, you're going to have to follow 135 Sabbath laws and all kinds of different laws, religious laws. But Jesus was asked, Rabbi, you know, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, right? Guess what? That yoke, that's the yoke of Jesus. So when he says, my yoke is easy and my burden light, that's what he's saying. This is my expectation of you. This does not go away because he died for your sins. Now, it's still here because he's good. And that yoke is love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And that's what he commands all of us to do. They will know you are Christians by your love one for another, right? Keep them united in your love, right? That's what Jesus So Jesus came and he fulfilled that law. He fulfilled every law so that you and I could delight in just fulfilling those two two laws. Now, I trust that you're a mature audience and that you don't think for a second that if you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself, you can somehow earn the favor of God. That's a bunch of blah, blah. No good. No bueno. That's called religion. What I'm talking about is, through Jesus, delighting in God and loving your neighbor. So Deuteronomy 6, starting in verse 3, Therefore, hear, O Israel, and be careful to observe it, that it may be well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord God of your fathers has promised you, a land flowing with milk and honey, the Shema. Starting in verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. 
Very simple. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. And if you do a word study on that, that word, soul, is an interesting one. Over 200 of the 310 times that word is used, over 200 of them, it's the word breath. Breath. Adam was just formed out of the earth, and he's laying there. He's earth and clay, and he's nothing until God breathes into him, right? Breathes into him life. And then when we come out of the womb, back in my day, you got a spanking. That was how they greeted you. And then you would gasp for air. You'd take that first breath. And guess what? If you are not breathing, you're not alive, right? And God gave, gives you that first breath. So what God is saying here is, hear this, Israel. Love me with every breath. Love me with every breath. Adam took the first breath anyone ever took. And then Jesus is on the cross, and what did he do? He said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And he breathed his last, his last breath. All the way to the end, until his very last breath, Jesus lived out this command. And that was his only thing he was out to do. Is I'm going to love God with every breath. And he gave every breath, even to his last breath, to live out this command. He took this yoke and lived it out, and he fulfilled it for us. So that we, who couldn't ever do it, can be saved, right? With every breath. But here's an interesting thing. When Moses is carrying down the commandments, I don't know about you, but I have this picture, and I've been told my whole life, and if you watch that movie, The Ten Commandments, Moses is carrying this huge burden. He's got these two tablets. And on it, in the handwriting of God himself, is the Ten Commandments. One for each finger, super easy math, right? And then Jesus says, well, no, it's two, it's two commandments, love God, love your neighbor. One for each hand, the math is only getting better. And so, but Moses is carrying these down. You guys, let's look at what God says about his commandments. In verse 3, I just read it, that it may be well with you. Observe it, that it may be well with you. Um, let's go to, that you may multiply greatly. Also in verse 3, verse 18 of Deuteronomy 6, that it may be well with you, God is saying. Here's the, here's the best one. Verse 24 of Deuteronomy 6. And the Lord commanded us to observe all these statutes to fear the Lord our God for our good always. Moses was carrying down what, what uh, Paul said was made weak through our flesh, right? This Ten Commandments. But the Ten Commandments represented who God is. And God gave him these Ten Commandments. He's carrying them down, the, the original tablet. And no upgrades needed, by the way. He's carrying them down, and he's carrying life. Until this point, humankind has not known this kind of blessing. What he's actually carrying down with him is life. Now, that life was made weak through our flesh, right? We couldn't do it. Nevertheless, the law was still good. And what Moses was carrying down was for, like verse 24 says, for our good always, that God might preserve us alive <laughs> to this day. What Moses was carrying was awesome. So he carries it down the mountain, and he comes down, and he sees this golden calf and this reckless party happening. And he's holding this law of God. And the, suddenly, this great law that gives life was condemnation. It's like, oh, no. And so what does Moses do? He shatters it, right? He's like, that was not inspired by the Holy Spirit, by the way. He was not supposed to do that. But he did it. It's recorded. Moses shatters the Ten Commandments, the handwriting of God on those two stones. Let's go to Exodus 34. Yeah, I think you're in Exodus right now, right, guys? Exodus 34. So Moses has something to do. He's got something to do. And the Lord said to Moses, cut two tablets of stone like the first ones, and I will write on these tablets the words that were written on the first tablets, which you broke. Which you broke. He has to throw that in there. <laughs> and that isn't the Lord putting a dig on Moses, by the way, right? Not saying, I'm going to remind you. you no, our Lord is not... That, that Lord. But it's the same command. He's like, I'm going to write the same words on those tablets. 
Guys, here's what, here's what I think is the greatest thing we can do. The first step toward delighting in God is agreeing with God. Right? Agreeing with God. You never, ever, ever delight in anyone that you disagree with. It just doesn't happen. Right? We always focus on that disagreement. Repentance is awesome. The word repent, by the way, should be a happy word in the ears of every believer. It should be happy. If, if the Lord convicts your heart and says repent, it should cause you to say, praise God, you didn't let me sit in that sin. I am so happy. I can't wait to repent. The word repent is, right, turn away from your sin. But repentance isn't complete if we're not doing it out of agreement with God. Right? David said, it is good that you chastise me that I might learn to fear you, but that I might find joy in your law. It's like, it's good that we felt the burn so that we won't touch that again, right? That kind of thing. So repentance is complete when it's done with a heart that says, God, I agree with you. I agree with you. I've got to stop gossiping. I agree with you. I've got to stop getting angry with my kids. God, I am in agreement with you. Lord, teach me to delight in that truth because there's delight in repentance. That's what the Lord was leading us to when he said repent. He's saying turn away from this nastiness toward delighting in God because it's way better. And it's what we're going to do for all eternity too. So we can get fired up about delighting in God today because it's just a taste of eternity. So have you guys, have you, I know I have, but have you, I want you to examine your hearts, have you thrown down God's tablets? Is there a law that you're like, I'm fine breaking it's not a big deal. Once in a while, no problem. It's natural. No, I don't know. Is there something that you've, that you've thrown down? Because God is ready for you to go carve a new stone. And you know what? He's faithful. He'll write that right back on your heart again. He will write that law right back on your heart. You just got to say, Lord, I'm sorry. I didn't, I've been throwing that law down. I've been pushing it to the side because it's been my condemnation. But Lord, would you write it on my heart again? Just like you did with these tablets. Just like you did for Israel. Write that back on my heart again. That's the first step toward delighting in the Lord again. It really is. Repentance. And it's an awesome word. So Moses does this. And it's fun because, well, I'll read to you just a little more. It's a bit of a sidetrack, I'm sorry, but I have to say it. Because look what God does after, after Moses does this. So he cut the two tablets of stone like the first ones. And when Moses goes up to Mount Sinai, starting in verse 5, now the Lord descended in a cloud and stood with Moses there. So the new stones haven't been written. Moses cut them and he brought them up. And this is cool. This has to be said. The Lord himself descended in a cloud and stood with Moses there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed before him, Moses, and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth. This had to be said. At the giving of the law, the same law which we get sick and tired of, the same law that condemns us, the law that we can never accomplish or, or live up to, but at the giving of it, God said, Hey, the Lord who is good... The Lord appeared at it the second time he gave it. You know, guys, every time you want to go before the Lord and you're saying, Lord, write that on my heart again, every time the Lord will say, I'm good and I'm going to. Every time. I love that this all happened more than once. <laughs> so we can find comfort in that. But it has to be said every time. Go to the Lord and hear this. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth. Every time you repent, every time you confess, every time you go before the Lord, that's what he's saying to you. That's who he is. And he's good. Abounding in goodness, gracious, long-suffering, abounding in goodness and truth. I'm going to jump to verse 8. The next verse, verse 7, shows how, how patient he is. Verse 8, so Moses made haste and bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. I love that. You don't hear about Moses doing a lot really quickly. 
But at this moment, he's like, oh, I'm going to bow. Yep, that's what you do here. That's what you do in this scenario. I'm going to bow. But then here's what Moses did. This is exciting, guys. Then he said, if now, if I have found grace in your sight, O Lord, let my Lord, I pray, go among us. Even though we are a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us as your inheritance. How awesome is that? You guys, none of us have stood face-to-face with God the way Moses did. We've not walked down Mount Sinai with the glow. Maybe Sean did. He, he just came from there. So maybe he had that. <laughs> no, right? Moses, something about the presence of God. We can, we can look at this and say, hey, there's something about being in the presence of God that allows you to ask big things, really big things. He's asking something huge. And it's, it's not willy-nilly asking, but he does it humbly. Oh, Lord, if I have found grace in your sight, oh, Lord, my Lord, I pray. Like, that's humble. Go among us. That's a big thing. Go among us. And then, almost as if their sin is just in passing. Yes, even though we are stiff-necked people. And pardon our iniquity and sin. Wait, hold on. Why? Moses is asking this before there was ever a Jesus dying on a cross, raised from the dead. So how much more can we ask God to do that, right? God, in light of your son passing and giving his life for me and rising from the dead, will you pardon my iniquity? That's powerful, right? Because of Christ, Moses didn't have that. Moses was longing for that day. Okay, and take us as your inheritance is the best part. Well, why, Moses? I mean, I gave you Ten Commandments, you broke them, and then all the people are down there with this party. I'm not going to say give you graphic detail of that, but it's not good. It's very modern. And Moses is like, take us as your inheritance. Go among us. Take us as your inheritance. That's a big ask from God. And guys, we don't ask big things from God anymore. We hardly ever do. How much more can we ask of a God who's already sent his son, who paid the price for our sin? And our sin has actually been, it's not pardoned, it's been removed. It's been removed, right? And we stand righteous before our Heavenly Father. How much more can we ask of him? So much. Jesus said you don't have because you don't ask. Ask of the Father and he'll give to you, right? We can ask big things. Moses did, and so can we. And then, that is the type of faith that makes God move. Look what he does. Verse 10, and he said... God, behold, I make a covenant before all your people. I will do marvels such as have not been done in all the earth, nor in any nation. And all the people among whom you, all the people among whom you are, shall see the work of the Lord. For it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. That is a yes. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. That's a yes from the Lord. And his yes is like, oh, I'm going to blow your mind. And everyone who watches, every, every neighbor who sees what I do through your life, they're going to go, whoa, their God is the one true God. Wow. And this was even before Christ ever died for any of them. Before the blood was actually spilled. And that's, that's, what, that's the God we delight in. And how much more now that Christ has died. All right. So let's go back to uh, Matthew 11 real quick. So we can say, Lord, we agree with you. Your law is good. It's for our good always. It's that we may live. It's that we may prosper. God, you are good and your law is good. And you're forgiving and kind. And we agree. I agree with you, God. I agree with your law. And then in uh, Matthew 11, we see John the Baptist is in prison. He's not getting out. Blessed is he who is not offended because of me. And they, at uh, verse 7 of Matthew chapter 11, as they departed, that's John's disciples, Jesus began to say to the multitudes concerning John, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments? Indeed, those who wear soft clothes are in king's houses. But what did you go out to see? A prophet. Yes, I say to you, and more than a prophet, for it is written... 
For it is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Assuredly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist. But he who is the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven is suffering violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John, and if you are willing to receive it, it is, he is Elijah who is to come. But he who has ears, let him hear. But to what shall I liken this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their companions and saying, We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We mourned for you, and you did not lament. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, He has a demon." The son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, Look, a glutton and wine-bibber, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is justified by her children. Then in verse 20 through 24, Jesus preaches woe. Then he began to rebuke the cities in which most of his mighty works had been done, because they did not repent. Woe to you, Corazon! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works which were done... In you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, who are exalted to heaven, will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I say to you that it shall be more tolerable for land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. Okay, that's a Debbie Downer talk right there. What, a, what an honest talk from the Lord. How sobering. And it's serious. And life here is serious. John the Baptist is, is going to die in prison, and he's struggling. Are you the one? And God, of course, knows he is. That's hard. And... and He's his cousin. This is, this is family. It's, it's extra serious when it's family, isn't it? I know a guy who went to prison seven years because he was in a car that he shouldn't have been in. And he was young. But he's not family. And it was still hard. How much, how much more difficult? Then, Jesus doesn't give a very good report about um, the, this generation. Basically, what he's saying is, you're numb. Your, your hearts are hardened. You don't, you don't even lament. You don't even celebrate. You're just numb. This generation, you're just numb. Your peers are trying to get you, get you excited, and you won't even get excited. There's bad things happening around you. You won't even mourn. You won't even cry, right? Just numb, this generation. And then he starts talking about how they're they ripping on John the Baptist, saying, you know, that he's not a prophet. And then how they, they rip on Jesus saying he's just a drunkard and a wine-bibber. And Jesus is in this crowd. Then he starts preaching woe. When I was young, I was raised, my dad thankfully raised me to ask the question, why on earth would God save me? He, didn't, he wasn't being abusive like, why did God save you, boy? No. He was, he was like, that's, some, that's the question to answer in this life. And the answer is because God is so loving. Because God is gracious, long-suffering. It's everything we just read, right, about who he is. But today, people are asking, who is God to send anyone to hell? What right does God have to do those things? Right? Jesus is just right now, he's talking about, woe to you, because there is a day of judgment. Jesus doesn't seem to have a problem with the idea of a judgment. Jesus was in agreement with God, his Father, about this day of judgment. It's coming. And he never, ever, ever, ever tries to defend his Father's perspective on that. He doesn't get drawn into that argument. How could a loving God send someone to hell? He doesn't get drawn into that. It's a really a modern thing that we have, especially in its, the, most, the more blessed a generation is, the more likely they are to start accusing God of things. I don't know why that works. I lived in West Africa for a year. It's the first place for worst place. It's the worst place to have a baby. It's the worst place to even live. Lowest life expectancy in all the world. My wife and I got 
the door closed and we moved home six weeks before Ebola came. And Ebola wiped, it, wiped out 90% of the Muslim imams in Sierra Leone. They died. You got all kinds of mosques sitting empty. I would love to go and turn them into churches. But that's crazy. Now, if you're a Sierra Leonean, you're like, yep, I get it. God does those things. We've seen it. And you know what? If you're a Sierra Leonean, you have no problem with judgment. You have no problem with there being a heaven and a hell. Uh, There's a guy, a chief over a whole region, who got paid $20 million a year by, by businesses that bought iron off of his property. It was a big iron mine. $20 million a year he got paid. It's huge. Kids in his region were dying of malaria all the time. And it was 3 to $5 for medicine. This dude never gave a penny. And so every Sierra Leonean is like, yep, you better believe there's justice. <laughs> you better believe it, right? But we struggle with it here. We struggle with a God who could do those things. Jesus, I'm going to tell you guys, Jesus didn't, he never second-guessed God. He never struggled with God and the woe and the judgment that's coming. That's a reality. But in the midst of all this, in the midst of, I did not come to bring peace, but I came to bring a sword. In the midst of John the Baptist is in prison unjustly. He's my cousin, and I love him. And his head's going to get chopped off soon. That's ugly. And, oh, man, this generation is asleep. They don't even care. Live or die, they don't even care. They don't want to hear me. And then judgment is coming. It's in that context that we get to come to me, all ye who labor and are heavy laden. How does that work out? Until next time, no, okay, we'll talk about it. Here's how it works out. Verse 25 of Matthew 11. At that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and have revealed them to babes. First thing, thank God. In the midst of all that, Jesus turns, he's like, I thank you, Father. When the rest of the world is falling apart, there's evil everywhere, just for the sake of evil, Jesus turns around and says, I thank you, Father. I thank you. That's pretty awesome. Thank God. And in verse 26, it says, Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in your sight. What a simple answer to all the world's issues. How can God judge people? For so it seemed good in his sight. That's why. It seemed good in his sight to be himself, to be holy and righteous. And he doesn't defend himself. Why does God reveal himself to, to fools like myself and everyone who's sitting here because it's just seemed good in his sight i don't know it fully but it's good in his sight and he's a good god that's a pretty simple answer to the world's greatest problems right because it just seemed good in his sight well jesus knew the heavenly father better than anyone and he still does look at the next verse all things have been delivered to me by my father so he knows everything And it all came from his Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Then he says, come to me. This is why we go to Jesus. This is why we go to him. Because through Jesus, we have the Father. Jesus was so excited about his Father. Everything he did, his Father told him to do. Everything he said, every act he did, his Father told him to do. And he did it. And it was all so that you and I would have access to the Father. It's so easy for me to love Jesus. And there are times where it's just not that easy to love my Father, my Heavenly Father. It's been said that you will judge, you will determine who your Heavenly Father is based on your earthly Father. And I think that's partly true. I think it is kind of natural. And if my Heavenly Father is like... If the Heavenly Father is like my earthly father, then the Heavenly Father is very unstable. He could be happy one second, he could be sad the next second. He could be joyful one second and throwing the TV remote the next second. That kind of unstable. That's not my Heavenly Father. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. My Heavenly Father is so awesome that he sent his son, 
And his son loved him so much that he did whatever the father said. And he never second-guessed it. He just said, for even so, it seemed good in your sight. I thank you for doing the things the way you do it because it seemed good in your sight, Lord. That's all. That was it. That was the explanation he needed just because it's good in his sight. How many times do we say that to our own children? They're like, like hey, guys, you got to go to bed. Why? They say, why? Because well, it seems good in my sight for you to go to bed. <laughs> That's your answer. That's all I'm giving you. Sometimes in life, in, in, with the hardest of questions, the answer God gives us is, it's, it's good in my sight. And you're going to have to trust that. It's good in my sight. <laughs> and Jesus, he took that. And that's all he needed. So through Jesus, we can know the Father. Only through Jesus can we know the Father. No one knows the Father except Jesus reveals him to us. And so we can always go to Jesus and say, Jesus, I want to delight in the Father the way you did. I want to hear him and then say what I heard him tell me. Right? I want to hear the Father and then do what he's telling me to do. Jesus, show me the Father. So the disciples said that to him. And Jesus said, oh, how long have I been with you? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. How is it so hard for me to register that when I look at Jesus, I'm looking at the personification of the Father in the flesh and who he is? So guys, I'm going to close with something here. Um, Justin, if you want to. It's up to you if you want to come up. John chapter 20. Let's look at that real quick. Just a couple of verses. So Jesus has died. He's raised from the dead. And the news has yet to hit the presses, right? No one knows about this yet. And this is really a cool section of scripture. John chapter 20. I'm going to go... Verse 11 to 17, and we'll close. But Mary stood outside by the tomb weeping. Verse 11, sorry. Um, by the tomb weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. This is Mary Magdalene. And she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. And then she, then they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to him, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Now when she had said this, check it out, the angels don't talk anymore. The scene changes. This is really fun. Now when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. Then Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She supposed him to be the gardener and said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. This would have been the most miraculous moment <laughs> to, be, to be witness to. Mary, he knows your name, guys. He knows your name. He wants to talk to you and say your name. Mary, he says. She turned and said to him, Rabboni, which is to say teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my, father, to my Father and your Father, and to my God and to your God. This is incredible. What? Of all the things Jesus could have said, hey, guess what? Go tell the brothers I've overcome the grave. That's pretty legit. <laughs> that is awesome. I'd be like, I can't wait to get the t-shirt printed. Go tell the brothers I've overcome the grave. Go tell the brothers I, I've uh, defeated death. Go tell the brothers the title deed for all of creation is back in the hands of God. There's huge things that Jesus did. But what did Jesus say? He said, go tell the brothers, I'm going to go to my God and your God. How awesome. I'm going to go to my father and your father. What Jesus was saying was, tell the brothers, I got God. And there's nothing that beats that. Defeating the grave, turning all of creation back into majesty, that's coming. But the greatest message of all that Jesus has to say, the first thing he says after he's risen from the dead is, I've got God, and I got him for you. How awesome is that? That was his delight. That's why he did it. So you and I could have God. 
When I go to 7-Eleven, I bring God into 7-Eleven. Tell the cashier I've got God. Because I do. That's it. That's, that is where delight comes from. Because God lives in me. And God lives in you. Moses and the tablets, it's all done. Now I can delight in loving God and loving my neighbor. The law is fulfilled in my life. How awesome. So let's close in prayer. And let's seek the Lord. I want you guys to think, Lord, where have, where have I thrown a commandment to the side? Would you write that back on my heart? Where do I not agree with you, God? Because I want to agree with you and I want to delight in you so we can walk together in agreement. And God, would you remind me that I always have you. Everywhere I go, I got something to offer everyone I meet. And that's the Father. And that's pretty awesome. Father, we just come before you and just thank you so much for your word. We just covered thousands of years of your history. And we just think of the burden that Moses carried. And, and Lord, today Moses is smiling. He's in your presence. And one day soon, God, all of us will be in your presence. Lord, that every one of us from our heart could say, I've got God. And those who can't, God, if any of us can't say that from our heart, Lord, I just pray that you would uh, lead them. Lead them to come forward for prayer. Lead them to come forward to seek you, to know you, to have you, to be your child, to know what it means to delight in you. And God, if we have sin, that uh, would, you, would you be gracious and kind to lead us to repentance? Would you lead us to agreement with you? So, Lord, that we could delight in your law again, delight in your truth that gives us life and preserves us. And God, would you forgive us? We are stiff-necked. We're no different than the Israelites. God, would you forgive us? And we have found favor in your sight. Jesus already gave us all the favor. And in your sight, God, that we're clean through Christ, and we thank you. So, Jesus, would you... uh, Reveal those sins in our lives and cause us to turn from them and repent and to agree with you. And God, as the whole world is coming against you and attacking you and criticizing you, God, would we just find comfort as we look at the world for so it seemed good in your sight? Lord, could we find contentment the way you did, just knowing that God is good and, and God, you don't need to explain yourself to us, but you're still good? Father, I just pray a blessing over this church and just ask your your favor upon it, your protection over it, God. Uh, Deliver us from evil and set us free. God, cause our hearts to love you, to love your law, to love your truth, and, and to delight in you. Jesus, reveal your Father to us. You won him for us. The price is paid. Now we want to know him. Reveal your Father to us day by day and renew us. Jesus, we love you. We pray all this in your name. Amen.